Thank you for tuning in to this message from Kingdom Airs International, headquarters located in Flagstaff, Arizona. Tonight's going to take a little bit of time because I want to kind of set the tone for how this is going to look moving forward. So it'll get quicker and quicker in the sense of, um, you know, just with after party being with us, I just, I want the whole family together when we do tour portions. And basically what this is going to look like for the night season moving forward is we're going to start with communion and we're going to start with tour portions and then we'll move into the rest of the service. Um, but tonight I wanted to take some time to just speak on communion and speak on some things that I really felt heavy to introduce before we just do communion. Um, the reason the reason why I want to speak to it is because we've been doing communion as a family for a, a while. But there's something about communion tonight that's going to be different. And I didn't want us to grab our elements and to do communion as the way that we've always done communion. Because tonight, communion is going to not necessarily mean something different, but it's going to be significant in what it is that he wants to introduce. So I didn't want us to just grab our elements as normal and then just do communion um, because we're going to do it a little bit differently tonight. So um, I want to kind of just release a couple of things that I've been feeling about communion. One of the things that came to my heart was that we always get a prophetic wine. And one week we're on our second voyage. And then the next week we're getting at the roots. And then the next week we're flying high. And then the next week... We're in, right? Like, because it's, it's prophetic every week. And I felt like there's this simplistic concept to communion that's going to happen uh, throughout the night season. And so we prophetically bought wine. I'm not going to speak to what that wine is until after, actually, we do communion. So we'll speak on it a little bit later. But when, um, but when you can, engage in the label or look at the label. But what we're going to do with this wine is this is the wine that we are going to engage with until... So this is the wine that we're going to have until, if that's the entire night season, if it's all year, if it's a month, I'm not sure yet, but we're going to engage in this until. So uh, I really want to focus on the concept of communion before I release prophetically what this bottle is, but we've got until to release the fullness of what this bottle means. So same wine. The other thing that you're going to see that's a little bit different is I wanted four different stations. Because we've been in a season where the heads of the households really needed to step into their role. But now it's time for all of us to take what's been given. So individually, every single child, every adult, every, I don't care the age, is going to come up to some extent on their own. Of course, if they're really little, be with your parents. But I wanted everything to be clearly labeled. So you're going to see wine and juice. Wine and juice, wine and juice. So there's four stations um, to be able to grab communion after we're done doing what we're doing because we're just going to, this is probably a, a weird analogy, or I don't know if this is an analogy, but this might be a weird example. But I envision us grabbing our elements kind of like the Catholic Church. I know that probably sounds, but, you know, for us, it's, you know, we're standing in line, grabbing our elements, we're talking to each other, and I just really felt this, like, heaviness of what's going to come, that as you go grab your elements, that there's just going to be some things that are stirring. 
So, um, so that's why I wanted multiple stations to just not have that. Well, one head of the household's grabbing, I need three juices and two wines and I need a plate and I need bread and, but really just to be able to come to a station and grab either wine or juice and your, um, and your challah bread. The other thing is, is we have just straight challah bread. There's no, there's no added prophetic ingredients. There's no, nobody has baked it. It is just the most simplistic. All we need is his bread and we need his, and we need his, uh, his, his blood, right? We need his body and we need his blood. And that's what tonight's going to be about. So there's just some, some, uh, some, some simplicity to it. Um, and then um, the other thing that I wanted to do before we start is I want to, and I don't know why I'm emotional about this, but I really want to introduce the Talit tonight. And I'm going to take probably at least the next month before communion to teach on the Talit so that when the conviction hits your heart and you feel led, that you would be able to engage like Eric is to be able to, during this time of Torah portion and communion, to wear and begin to practice his protection and his tallit. Um, so that's what I meant by the second uniform, because I've asked Dad if he would publicly wear um, his tallit. And so something to just know about, like, about us personally, um, because it's not so much a public display, but it is very much a public display. Um, but during Tabernacles, Yahweh had given him a word that there would be a fresh anointing over the new year, over our marriage. So when we were sent off, you know, for tabernacles, he brought his tallit with us uh, to cover, you know, to cover our marriage and to safeguard some things moving forward. And so that flew with us and that went, came with us. And there was um, a tabernacling under the tent is really what that is. So as you guys can see, we don't have necessarily our we don't have a tabernacle, but that is ultimately what a tallit does, is that you can be tabernacling with him under uh, his protection. So I'm not going to teach a lot, but I do want to bring forth a few things about the tallit, and I'm just going to keep adding to every, uh, every week. Um, I'm just going to read out of Numbers 15, 37 through 41, and it says, Teat seats for holiness. Adonai spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to B'nai Israel, say to them that they are to make for themselves seats on the corners of their garments throughout their generations, and they are to put a blue cord on each seat. It will be your own seat. so whenever you look at them, you will remember all of the mitzvot of Adonai and do them and not go spying out after your own hearts and your own eyes prostituting yourselves. This way you will remember and obey all of my mitzvot, and you will be holy to your God. I am Adonai, your God. I brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am Adonai, your God. So I wanted to start with just reading in the scripture, that it's in the scripture. <laughs> I'm going to end with this, but I'll just say it now. I read out of Numbers, but I could read several scriptures. I'm not going to tonight, where Yeshua wore one. He, he, it was his lifestyle, and he wore one. And it's all over the scriptures. If you don't recognize it, you'll miss it. But there are three attributes to a tzitzit, or to a, to a tali with tzitzit. And the significance is the three main things. It's to remind us of who we are, who God is, and what he required of us, what he has required of us. So when you see one, it's to be a reminder. 
who we are, who God is, and what he requires of us. It's to remind us of his commandments. It also represents authority. And a lot of people don't know this, and this is where you're going to see this with Yeshua when the woman laid hands on his hem. A hem on a, on a, on a garment represents authority for, that, for the wearer. You'll see it with Saul and David. You'll start to understand why he didn't kill him, but he cut his garment. What was he doing in that time when he took his authority away? There's something about the hem of a garment, and this is that representation. It represents authority. Um, it also represents royalty and holiness. The fabric and the colors all represent certain aspects of his royalty. We all know that when he was building the tabernacle, he was very specific about colors. And everything meant something. And then we all know that priests also wore certain things. And we're going to get into all of that as we learn this. But this is an aspect, the fabric is an aspect of remembering his, uh, his royalty and being a holy priesthood. So the other thing I wanted to bring up was... Like the scriptures talk about tzitzit. So a tali is just a garment. The tzitzit is what is in the scripture. And when you look that up, it actually means fringe. If you guys want it, the um, Strong's is H6734. Um, it literally means fringe or tassel. So when you are looking at a tali and you see these fringes, this, it literally just means the fringes on the garment. But if you look deeper, the deeper root of that word is feather or wing. So when you go back to tabernacles, when Sally was bringing the word, I'm going to read it again. In Psalms 91, 1, he who dwells in the shelter of El, of Elyon will abide in the shadow of, Shad, of Shaddai. I will say of Adonai, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will rescue you from the hunter's trap and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. It's an activation of Psalm 91, not just a declaration over you, but being literally holding on to his feathers. It's the closest thing that you have to being able to hold on to his hands or to, to hold on to him. It's a representation of being able to hold on to something. So a um, couple of deeper words is shining, flower, blossom, flourish, gaze, and sparkle. So just thinking of the things that happen under a tallit and under his protection is he's causing us to gaze upon him and through that you will be his light. So there is a lot in this and that's just kind of a small teaching. I'm going to add to it every single week, but I wanted to introduce it because I've asked him and I will as well as we engage in communion or engage in actually the Torah portions, we will be wearing a tallit and didn't want to, just like we didn't want to flash a gun without explaining it. We didn't want to flash our tallits without explaining why why we're wearing them. So, um, okay. So what we're going to do for communion is I am going to have uh, the honey sticks, if we can hand them out. As they're handing them out, I want us to be very cautious about something. Um, a lot of times when we're holding our communion elements, did I get wine or did I get juice? And we've got bread and crumbs and we're kind of messing around with our elements. And I didn't want us to have elements because I really want us to focus on the Torah portion. So same with the honey. This is a tradition 
This is something that's sacred that you get to engage in, that his word is sweet, but I don't want it to be a toy or, um, you know, messing around with or squirting it out. Or It's to taste and see that his word is good. So just bringing up everything Kendra said, like I said, that his word is that we're going to taste and see. So during this time, what I want us to do is to stand, actually stand up for this. So we're, we're doing communion right now, but the first thing that we're going to be doing during, um, during communion is we're actually going to be doing our Torah portions. So before we do communion, we're going to do Torah portions together. Um, we're going to stand over here, and ultimately, we know that the Torah portion for this week was Genesis 1-1 to Genesis 2-3. Has everybody engaged that all week long? Uh, it just makes this much sweeter when we've engaged it. We'll get into that, that schedule and what it means and why we do it. But we're going to base, basically, Padrino, I've asked him to read. He's going to read the Torah portion out loud, word for word, all of Genesis 1-1 to Genesis 2-3 while we taste and see. So while he's doing this, go ahead and engage the honey, but really focus on the word because when we get to communion, that's what we're going to be engaging in is the word that was just read. So we're reading Genesis 1 1 through Genesis chapter 2, verse 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was chaos and waste. Darkness was on the surface of the deep, and Ruach Elohim was hovering upon the surface of the water. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, so God distinguished the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So there was evening and there was morning one day. Then God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the water. Let it be for separating water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water that was below the expanse from the water that was over the expanse. And it happened so. God called the expanse sky. So there was evening and there was morning, the second day. Then God said, Let the water below the sky be gathered in one place. Let the dry ground appear, and it happened so. God called the dry ground land, and the collection of the water he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the land sprout grass, green plants, and seed, fruit trees making fruit, each according to its species with seed in it, upon the land, and it happened so. The land brought forth grass, green plants, yielding seed, each according to its species, trees making fruit with seed in it, each according to its species, and God saw that it was good. So there was evening and there was morning the third day. Then God said, Let lights in the expanse of the sky be for separating the day from the night. They will be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. They will be for lights in the expanse of the sky to shine upon the land, and it happened so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light for dominion over the day, and the lesser light as well, the stars for dominion over the night. God set them in the expanse of the sky to shine on the land and to have dominion over the day and over the night to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. Then God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. Let flying creatures fly above the land across the expanse of the sky. Then God created the large sea creatures and every living creature that crawls with, with which the water swarms according to their species. 
as well every winged flying creature according to their species. God saw that it was good. Then God blessed them by saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the water in the seas. But the flying creatures multiplied on the land, so there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. Then God said, Let the land bring forth living creatures according to their species, livestock, crawling creatures, and wild animals according to their species, and it happened so. God made the wild animals according to their species, the livestock according to their species, and everything that crawls on the ground, each according to its species. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the flying creatures of the sky, over the livestock, over the whole earth, and over every crawling creature that crawls on the land. God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the land and conquer it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the flying creatures of the sky, and over every animal that crawls on the land. And God said, I have just given you every green plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the whole land, and every tree which has fruit of a tree yielding seed. They are to be food for you. Also, every wild animal, every flying creature of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the land which has life, every green plant is to be food. And it happened so. So God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. So there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So the heavens and the earth were completed along with the entire array. God completed on the seventh day his work that he made, and he ceased on the seventh day from all his work that he made. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. For on it he ceased from all his work that God created for the purpose of preparing. So with that, we're going to go ahead and go ahead. So with that, we're going to go ahead as she instructed each individual. Go ahead and gather your elements um, before we proceed. All right. If we could stay standing, if possible. Um, this is going to be simple, but what I saw was that with this communion, his body will be first. And as you guys saw in the hollow bread, it was broken, and we've we've all torn it to pieces. Um, that it's only because of his body that the word that was just read is able to be written in our heart. If it was not for Yeshua, Hamashiach, we would not have access to this word coming inside of us. We would just be reading it and trying to live it out. But because of him, he said in the renewed covenant that it could be written on our hearts. So all we're going to do is we're going to partake of his body. And then we're just going to repeat this simple statement. And I think we're just going to keep doing this until. And the statement is, is that um, this Torah portion is written on my heart. So we're just declaring the portion that was just read. This part of the Torah is written on my heart. So when you feel ready to do that, I would declare that out loud and take of his body. What does that mean if it was hard to swallow? <laughs> okay. And then the other thing he showed me is with his blood. We know that we've talked about at Pesach that it's his blood or communion, that this is a seal of a vow. In a wedding, after you say, I do, if you don't drink of the cup, it's not 
done or it's not sealed in heaven. So an aspect of this is being able to engage that that it's that it's sealed in our hearts. So because of his body, it's being written on our hearts and this seals that it's in my heart. So we're going to repeat. This is what I heard in the spirit and it's super simple. But when you're ready, you're just going to say it is finished. When you guys are done with that, that'll finish up communion and then standard bearers after party. You guys are released to go downstairs. So after we do the Torah portion, um, we're going to teach on it for a little bit. And then we'll spend the second half releasing on the early church. Because remember, he showed us that we were going to be focusing on the Torah and then also releasing on the early church. Um, tonight we might not get too far into the early church because Dad, Padrino, wants to kind of just speak to the family prophetically so that we step into all of this correctly, you know, since the last uh, last time that we, you know, we were together with Tabernacles, um, kind of just bring some overall goodness. So it may, we may only get to introduce the early church and then we'll really launch that this, uh, this next week. But tonight we're going to be studying the Torah portion that was just read. Um, I think... I am going to say this one thing. I'm going to kind of go over logistics on the Torah portion. I kind of released a lot on Voxer, but not everyone's on Voxer. I'm going to release all of that again at the end of service, but I do want to say this one thing. Um, so Hebrews read backwards or rightwards, and we read backwards. But they read from <laughs> here this way. So when you see a Torah portion calendar, and you see that there's a date with that Torah portion. For example, if you've looked up our Torah portion, it's going to say October 14th. And it's going to say Genesis 1. Okay? What's happening is Western culture reads that as that's when I start. That's like, oh, that means on tomorrow, on the 14th, I'm going to start Genesis 1 and we're going to move forward. But Hebrews, we end. We end tomorrow on Genesis 1, which is why I had to release on Kingdom Heirs that the Torah portion was Genesis 1, because we should have been studying it all week long. We're ending it essentially tonight, and then Shabbat is the turn or transition into the next one. So after tomorrow morning, you're going to settle in everything that was released tonight, tomorrow morning. By tomorrow afternoon, you're going to step into October 21st Shabbat's scriptures, and you're going to focus on that one. So if you're ever kind of out of sorts and you're looking at a calendar, we'll all be together on this, but we have started week, we're not starting week one. Here's, let me, let me tell you spiritually what's going on. I am not here to feed you, and then you take my meal, and then eat on that only meal. You are to dine and sup and feed yourself and come, so when the Torah portion's read, for me, because I have been in this, that portion is weighty because of all that he's showing you all week long. So that's what I mean by being prepared because when you recite it and you study it, you get into commentary, you start looking at it, you start reading it forward and backwards, then, you're, then you come to seal it, not begin it. So we're coming together to seal every week. So tomorrow you're going to just kind of soak in Genesis 1, 1, 
two through three, two, three. And then tomorrow afternoon, you're going to shift into the next uh, Genesis portion, which I'll give out a calendar and we'll talk, up, talk about all the logistics. But I did want to just say that um, up front. Does that make sense? Okay. So I am going to teach on, um, obviously, Genesis 1, which at its face seems it's a creation story. What else could you teach on it? And I... I don't know what is wrong with me. It's fine. It's okay. Thanks, Zeke. <laughs> um, so I'm just gonna kind of go for it, and I hope that I hope that all this comes together, because um, there is a lot, and I and we're skimming the surface. This is why every three years we could do this, and it's ne- you're never gonna read it the same because it is there is there's so much, but. I want to start off with uh, the first thing that he showed me was the word Bereshit. I just kind of wanted to dive into that, so I'm going to prophetically tell you what he showed me. Bereshit is literally the first word of the Torah. In English, it's in the beginning. But in Hebrew, it's Bereshit. It's the first word. So the very first word of the Torah is Bereshit. That's kind of significant. So when we look up that word, it obviously means in the beginning. It's made up of, it's made up of a bait, resh, Aleph, Shin, Yod, Tav. What I got with those letters is in the house, there is an authority who is a strong father that separates the beginning from the end. So there's something about Bereshit that's not just in the beginning, but it's actually speaking to the end. Okay? So when you're reading all of Genesis 1, we have to we have to understand that Genesis one is the is the foundation, and if that's the foundation, that's the beginning. But it's also going to be the end, and you can't understand the beginning if you don't know the end, and you don't know the end if you don't understand the beginning. So there's something in that one word that we just take as face value in the beginning, but really it's a father that will separate the beginning from the end. Now I'm not speaking linear. I'm not speak. I'm not saying the beginning from the end, but if you look at it as a circle, he will distinguish. The beginning from the end, but you can't get to the beginning until you get to the end, and vice versa, because it's a circle. Okay? So, um, in this chapter, what I saw was so significant, and if I can just be, be transparent in what I've heard from the family is the concern or the fear of getting into the Torah and finding a God that we don't know who's scary or fearful or, 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 or we don't understand, right? So this chapter is so significant when we take communion and say it is finished because the fullness of this chapter absolutely expresses his character and his heart completely in one chapter. And when we get into the other chapters where it gets muddy because sin enters the world, and us crazy people make it weird. We made it weird. We have to go back to his original intent that he is the creator, period. He is the creator. Because he's the creator, he is worthy to be the one to create. I, I don't know if that's... Um, let me just read what I wrote. You're going to learn a couple things when you understand Adonai as the creator. One, 
you have a God who makes himself known for the purpose of relationship. The whole first chapter, there's no purpose for the first chapter. He, he wasn't alone. He wasn't in need of anything. But he decided to create for the purpose of relationship. That gives him, as a creator, <laughs> that the universe is obligated to acknowledge and bow before him. If he's the creator, then we are obligated to acknowledge and bow before him. Yeah. That's a totally different take on his character or lordship, if you will. So he is fully lord, fully king, obli like we're... He, he created, and at the same time, he created for the purpose of friendship, yeah. for relationship and partnership. You're getting the fullness of his character right there, that he is almighty creator, and in his infinite wisdom, who was not lonely and not in need of anything, decided for his purpose that he would create an entire, and I'm going to get into this, he, he created an entire structure for mankind. While his creation is amazing, there's no purpose for it except for us. All that he did through all the days before mankind was for mankind, not for him, for mankind. And he created mankind so that he could have relationship with. It's pretty powerful. All of a sudden you start looking at plants a little bit different. Okay, here's the other thing with creator though. He has the right to order for his purposes and require creation to conform to his ways. He has the right to order for his purposes and require his creation to conform to his ways. If he's the creator, he has the right to make creation, make it look like him. I feel like that is like already just such a heavy, like when we get to know his character and his heart. So I want, I want to start with that. And then there's a few things that I just want to point out in this chapter that I hope will bring some more revelation or maybe things that we've not heard before. Okay. Um, one thing I wanted to point out is not only is the first word bear a sheet, the first letter of the Torah is bait. So this is going to come down the road, but I just want to insert it now that there's a mystery behind Bait being the first letter. Why did he choose the second letter of the alphabet and not Aleph or Aleph Bait? Why did he choose Bait and not Aleph? Well, when we fast forward and Mount Sinai happens and the commandments or his Torah is made known on paper, essentially, and given to the people, he starts off all of it with, I am God. I is a left. So there's a mystery that he starts with bait, knowing that there's a future story where he's going to reveal more. 
So just something to be excited about as you're engaging this um, this first chapter that there's not just at face value, but there's also mysteries behind it that you may or may not pick up on, that in his infinite wisdom, he has these secrets or these treasures to be able to release to us because how, and this is, I guess, what I mean by he's this sovereign creator that demands that he can put all things in order and we have to acknowledge and bow down to him. And then he gives this beautiful treasure where he says, let me start the whole thing with a house. And later on when my people are involved, I'll give them myself. Let me create a house because later I'm going to dwell with my people. Okay. So the the things that I wanted to point out in Genesis um, that may or may not be new, but I wanted to just throw it out there that in Genesis, if, if, as, as you know, the earth was formless and void, right? Those are the two, those are the two, like there's no form and it's void. That means he spends the rest of his time fulfilling the promise that he will fill up and form or form and fill up. Something was formless and it was void. And he spends the rest of his time giving it shape and filling it up. He gives the earth shape and then he fills it up. And that's all chapter one is. is he, it, it, it expresses that something is chaotic. He takes utter... Remember, we're after his character, so we'll remember who he is. He will take utter chaos and put it in absolute order. He will take something that is formless and he will give it form. He will take something that is void and he will fill it up. So when we're questioning, he will take, he will, he will shape us and he will fill me up. He will shape us and he will fill us up. That's all he did in chapter one. And the most powerful thing is, is if you notice, it actually breaks it down. He breaks it down three days by three days. He forms for three days and he fills for three days. Isn't that cool? He spends three days forming and he spends three days filling. Neither one more important than the other. So if you want to be filled up, maybe you're shapeless. Maybe you need to spend three days getting formed before you can be filled. (laughs) Because he did have to form before he could fill. Right? I mean, I know me. I want to be filled up before I'm formed. Yeah. Okay. Um... That might be all that I want to say about that. Um, Now, the next thing that I want to point out, we keep talking about this word. We've talked about it several times. His strong arm will press us and separate to get us into the house. We just talked about Bereshit, that that in this house, he is a strong father that separates. Right? Even Het is a kupa. And a lot of people think that that's, you know, that the only thing is that you're, it's in a covering. But if you're in a covering, you're also separated. You're set apart. You're, 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 we, we think of separation as a bad thing, but you have to be set apart or separated to be in his protection. And so there's something about a, a father who will separate on our behalf. 
And all he does for, for days is separate. I mean, if you think about him putting things in order, he, ju- he constantly was separating. He just separated, he separated the waters from the waters. He separated the land from the waters. He separated the darkness from the light. He was a God that was putting utter chaos into extreme order by distinct, by being a distinguished God who decided this cannot mix. And I am going to separate and I'm going to, I'm going to set it apart. Okay. I just, I want us to understand who he is because he's a God that separates and, and will distinguish things. Um, okay. In that, so obviously he separates a lot. He separates the light, the dark, but what I want to focus on tonight is that he separates two things that is super significant that I felt that we were supposed to lean into. Uh, one was uh, humankind and then Sabbath. So I want to speak on those two things. Um, are you guys doing okay? Um, I want to, maybe I'm going to talk with, maybe I'm going to talk about Sabbath first. Yeah, let's start with Sabbath. Kind of going out of order because he created humans first, but I want to talk about Sabbath because uh, something that I didn't realize until this week is what a gift, this is going to be appalling. I did not realize till this week what a gift Sabbath was. I know we've been honoring it for a long time, but I don't think until I read this chapter did it hit me that everything that we celebrated with tabernacles happens every single week. We get to practice tabernacling with him every single week on Shabbat. But I didn't recognize that Shabbat was a gift. Um, and And I'm kind of a science nerd, so this is the reason why. This is just how it hit me. But if you were alone on an island, deserted, with no clock, no watch, no nothing, you would be able to figure out what year it is based on the sun. You'd be able to figure out what month it is based on the moon. And you'd be able to figure out pretty much what time it is based on the position of the sun. There is no way for you to know what day of the week it is in his creation. So in his infinite wisdom, he says, let me set apart a day of the week and make it separate so that my people know where they're at in the week. Isn't that so cool? I mean, because he created the suns and the stars and the feasts and he created the seasons. He created all that, but he did not create a week until he created Sabbath. And that is what Sabbath means, is it's our transition from the end. He will separate the beginning from the end and he will make a distinction of what starts and what ends. And it happens on Shabbat, which is why we shift our Torah portions on Shabbat as well. Um... I think that might be all that I want to say about Shabbat. The only other thing that I would uh, talk about with Shabbat as, as a gift is that clearly the obvious gift is that time of rest for humankind. It is tabernacling. It's where he dwells. So so his I'm gonna I'm gonna get into this as we get into to mankind, but his affection 
towards mankind because of Sabbath just shows his gift towards his people. Because he wasn't giving plants Shabbat. He didn't give the stars Shabbat. He didn't give the water Shabbat. He gave mankind rest because we are partners with him and he rested. And so it, it, is a, it is the first expression of his heart towards his people that he is saying, you are set apart. You are, you are the apple of my eye. You are the reason why I created all of this. You, you, this, is, this is for you. And we'll hear about it you know, in the, uh, in the Renewed Covenant where it says that it is, that it is a gift to the people. You know, that, that, uh, that Shabbat, is, Shabbat is for the people. The people are not for Shabbat. Right, that scripture in the renewed covenant where it says that it's for you, but you're not supposed to be for it. Mm. One other thing, and the other thing is, is when you really look into the scripture, it's just a real little chapter, but it says that this day is blessed. It's the only day that's blessed. He says every day is good, but that's the only day that's blessed. So there's a twofold thing there. When you honor Shabbat, it is a blessing to honor Shabbat, is a blessing for you. But at the same time, what blessing comes because you honored it as well? Yeah. I think that there's a, um, a saying, I probably won't be able to remember exactly, but um, I'm not going to be able to remember it. It's like Israel was kept because of Sabbath, or maybe because they kept Sabbath they were kept. Mm. I can't remember. <laughs> but the point is is that, that, it's, that they were kept because there's a couple things with Sabbath, not only is it a gift, but it is the sign of his covenant. It is the one thing that distinguishes his people among any other people that that day is set aside and that they are not to work, that they are to rest on that day. It is, it is a, in Exodus, it'll talk about how that it is a covenantal sign that his people are set apart because of that one thing. So you're looking at a creator who has a whole lot going on in this chapter of how to walk as his people and sets out kind of a, a, a map, essentially, without even saying, that's my covenant. It's the foundation chapter of what's to come. Sabbath points to Yeshua. It points to Exodus. It points to Yeshua. It points to Revelation. It points to when he rules and reigns with us and dwells. Sabbath one day will be all of eternity. Yeah. So it's it's a it's a prophetic show of what's to come. Does that, does that make sense? And so all of that comes uh, with Sabbath when you're reading that part. Um, and then I wanted to talk about. Um, I just want to highlight. I've already said it, but I just want to highlight about the scriptures where he produces, you know, man, where he creates, because there is uh, powerful words in there like image and likeness. And so I really want us to grab a hold of that he created humankind in his image. We've, we've heard that so many times, but to let that settle that what that means is that he carved or sculpted something that would that looks like him and in in his likeness it means shape or model basically when you look at the human race you're supposed to see Yahweh 
It ultimately gives you your purpose in life. If I am made in his image, don't just stop with a selfish, well, then I'm made in his image. So what does that mean for me? But what it means is, is that I am his ambassador. I am his replica on this earth. I am to be made in his image and to carry his image forward throughout all of the earth. So when he says that I've I've made him in my in our image, and then not even to get into the plural the plurality of it. Anyways, but just the apple of his eye, all of creation, it's all amazing. But he made it for the purpose of humankind to be in his creation. Creation doesn't mean anything. It is a platform for his people, but it's also a platform for his relationship with his people. And all of this is in chapter one. It's a platform for who we are to him, who he is to us, and who we're to be to the world. It's a, it's a, all, all of creation was made and then you're given purpose to do two things, bear his image and multiply. You're supposed to rule. So the first thing is, he made you for relationship. The ultimate relationship is that he wants a friendship with his partner. Okay? We are to look like him, and we're then to rule. That's all in the first chapter. And we have all of creation that was made for us to be able to play out his story. And obviously, this is just first the first chapter. We're going to get into the next chapters where sin comes in and it starts to get nutty. But we know that he has a redemptive story because he brought up Shabbat. This is what I'm getting at. It is a, it is a story of not only his creation, but also his redemption, knowing what it was going to cost to create a people like us who forget so quickly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who forget so quickly. Mm-hmm. that he had a redemptive story in mind when he brought up Shabbat then. You guys have to remember, in Genesis, there was no Exodus. There was no Shabbat. There was no law. It's just he rested. This is the blueprint. But we also know in Revelations that there is an eternal rest. It's the beginning and the end, all in one chapter. So not only is his goodness that he would create all of this just to have a friend That he would do all of this just to have a relationship and a partner on this earth to have a friend when he didn't need me and he didn't need, he didn't need anything. And then for, for us, trees and plants and an ocean and the water and the, and the expanses and the light and darkness and to create such structure for us to just step right into. Then after all of that, he tells you your purpose and your purpose is to look like him. Yeah. to have relationship with him, to look like him, and then rule. Rule the creation I gave you. Amen. I'm asking you to rule. Look like me. I'm a ruler. I'm a king. I'm a priest. I am holy. So you're going to do the same thing. And then after all that, he says, now rest. As a picture for everything that's to come. It's your answer for what's to come. And it's the blueprint for what already happened. Does that make sense? So if you think about just honoring one week, honoring Shabbat allows you then to read chapter 3. 
to read chapter 4, 5, 6, getting into numbers. He gave you the answer right up front, which is dwelling with him and being with him and setting yourself aside, setting yourself apart, setting yourself away with him sets you up for the redemptive story. So not only, it's not like he was ignorant, like, isn't this amazing? It's going to be so amazing. My humans are so awesome. He knew. So he's like, Shabbat. Shabbat. As you rule and reign, Shabbat. It's the only thing that's going to distinguish from one week to the next. But it's also a way larger story than just one week. And so he gave us all of creation. He gave us us. He gave us purpose. And he gave us the answer all in one one chapter. And that's just the beginning of the Torah. Isn't that amazing? Okay. There's something else right here. Yeah, just one, just one more, just one more thing. I just wanted to bring up, just because it's so heightened in our culture. But he he gave creation to mankind. Where things get out of whack is when we begin to worship creation and not the creator. So what's happening is, is humans are honoring or dying at the stake to save a tree, but will murder in a second. So what's happening is, is we're not honoring why he created creation, which was for humans. And that we are to honor creation, but not above that mankind is the authority on the earth. Does that make sense? And the reason why I bring up just that one aspect is because it'll give you an understanding when sin gets introduced and the battles that we have and what we walk through because things get flipped upside down by humans. Everything gets out of order. We put it back into chaos, which is why he'll come in and say, let me be the creator where I expect you to acknowledge and bow down to me because I have full right to put this back in order which is a lot of our stories, things being so distant from us, not knowing what order is. And he'll come in and he's going to put it back in order. And what he's doing is, is we flipped it upside down and he wants to put it in right order for us. And that's what he did all through chapter one was, was uh, you know, dispel his kingship through, through separation and through creating order. And so we're going to be walking through the story of what order looks like. And you can see it all over the Tanakh, the Old Testament, where people forget and then they start, you know, doing other things. And then he's, and then, but then he's redempt, he's, he redeems them. Let me, let me say this. This might be scary. If he created you, he can annihilate you. Yeah. And he has full right to do it. Yeah. If he created you, he can annihilate you. And he has full right to do it. Yeah. That might seem like that's scary, but to me, that's not because he didn't annihilate. Because he keeps redeeming and redeeming and redeeming and redeeming and redeeming, redeeming. But he doesn't do it without, and you obey and you obey and you obey and you obey. And through that, you will be set apart. You will be holy. You will walk as as heaven. You will walk like me. You will talk like me. You will look like me. You will rule like me. You will have things in order like me. And, you know, generation after generation after generation of just being humans, 
We get things flipped upside down and we forget what his order is. So he's got to come in and put those things in order, which is amazing. It might feel like annihilation, but he didn't. You know, his <laughs> grace and his goodness to come in and say, let's try again. Amen? That was all in Genesis 1-1 to 2-3. Isn't that amazing? I don't want us to not, uh, I don't want us to take this lightly when a Torah portion um, is, you know, a chapter, especially when we've read it a hundred times. Dwell in it. Get in it. Something's going to be highlighted to you. Seek it out. Get into the mystery. And that's why, you know, do it every day. Get into it. So when we come and we do communion, can you understand the way of, like, let's go back. Because of his body, before Yeshua, this is all trying to attain. It was a great blueprint, but you just had to walk by the blueprint and hope that the penalty of sin wouldn't come on me. We're freed, not from the instructions, but we are freed from the penalty. Isn't that amazing? What a loving father. That when it gets weird, he gave his son to free us from the penalty of not walking in Shabbat. I mean, go back to Numbers. I'm reading about the holiness of tzitzit. Look at the chapter right before. Unintentional sin versus deviant sin. Unintentional, give a bowl. Unintentional sin, burn a sheep. I don't know if it's a sheep. A goat. Defiant sin, get them out of the community, stone them. I know that sounds crazy. But then he gives you the answer. Remember you are holy. This is not a free, free for all for you right. to just not be holy and think yeah. that you're not going to be set apart. Yeah. But then I just think about his, 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 his goodness because it's instructions. I mean, I know I've said it over and over again. We are not freed or released from his instructions to be holy. He didn't say, because of my son, you can be defiant. Unintentional and intentional. Go for it. Yeah. He didn't do that. He gave his son so that you could be freed from annihilation. So when I take his body, I'm, I'm trembling at just Genesis 1. Because of his body, I have, the, I have access to this to be inside of me. No longer am I reading this because some preacher said, it is good. Or we are made in his image, and you've got to go home and try to figure that out. You know, that I, I'm, 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 I'm accessing because of his body, it can come inside of me. Only because of him did he say in the renewed covenant, it can now be written on your heart. Right? And then when we drink of the covenant and we're vowing, this is a contract. This is a wedding ketubah. This is a contract. These are his instructions and this is a contract. So when I'm drinking and I'm sealing and I'm saying it is finished, I'm saying it is finished, it is, it, it is in me. So as you prepare for the week, that's the weightiness of what is going to come alive or what I feel in the spirit is that we are going to be reintroduced to a structure that has always been there, but it's been masked because we only knew of that structure through Pharaoh. We've known of this structure. It's not like we haven't been saved, right? We've known of this structure, but it's been a far off distant, far off there through a filter of Pharaoh, through a filter of religion, through a filter of a system that that's what we that that's how we saw it. Now we get to re-see all of this as close as him being in my heart and not through Pharaoh's eyes, not through a structure, but through relationship where he wants to be friends 
where he wants partnership and he gives purpose and he gives order and he gives creation for you and that you are the center of attention. You're the whole reason why creation was made. You are, you are the center of attention. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are his ambassador. That identity is coming to us and it's coming to us loud and clear yeah. and very intimate. Or at least I don't, I don't know if you guys feel that way, but I feel like we're relearning in such a place of intimacy. Genesis 1. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? You know, she touched on the wanting to convey his character because of the concern that when we engage the law that we're going to encounter you know, a mean God or, or whatever, or some unknown Lord that we're not familiar with. And she's bringing just a taste of the spirit of the law. I mean, just the richness in Genesis chapter 1 is, all of that is the spirit of the law. It's the character and his heart behind his instructions. And that's amazing that we get to step into night season doing Torah portions and it's, it's, it's like forget about just familiarizing yourself with the law. We're skipping that and getting the spirit of the law, the heart, the Father's heart behind the law. Right? None of what she said was, do this, don't do that. Right? Because it was the heart of the Father. It's the spirit behind the law. And so this is going to be amazing as we go through the night season and just kind of shift your mind that way, that we're going to understand the spirit of the law. He's such a good father, he's going to, he's going to let us understand the spirit of the law first. Right? It, wouldn't, it almost wouldn't make sense to just understand the law and then understand the spirit, because then it would be backwards. I want, to, I want to shift and just kind of speak to the family prophetically as to where we are in our walk as we cross over into this night season. And I, I get the sense that a lot of what could be happening is there's this context or this paradigm that we have found ourselves here. And I want us to be the type of people that remember where we came from why we're here and where we're going. We always need to have that that paradigm of this is where we came from, this is why we're here, and this is where we're going. We should never be as a people walking through life just thinking, how did I get here? I just found myself here. Because then when you're confronted with struggles and trials, you're really going to have a hard time. If you don't have the paradigm this is where we came from. This is why I'm here. This is where we're going. When she talked about 5784 and what that means and what that represents, that the arm of the Father is going to put pressure on you to set you apart. And that's symbolizing the year. I'm not saying this, it, this can be overwhelming, but it doesn't have to be. But it needs to be said that what the dynamics spoken over the year 
is that he is going to outstretch his arm and put pressure on you. For, why? We, we may feel the pressure and just go, why are you putting pressure on me? And forget why he said he was going to put pressure on you. Get you in the house. This year, he is going to put pressure on you to set you apart. I heard this in the spirit as I was thinking about our family crossing over. He said, what type of people are you? But he was, he was talking to me. When I say what type of people, he searches for a type of people. Mm-hmm. Yes. So what type of people are you, Kendra? What type of people are you? And the reason why he's asking that is because when the pressure comes, what type of person are you going to be? Not anybody else. When I'm dealing with my children and I'm and I have my eye on my children and I'm putting pressure unique to that child because I know that child and I'm allowing pressure or I'm putting pressure on that specific child to set them apart for their purpose and for their destiny, it has nothing to do with anybody else. What type of people are you? You might as well be in the room by yourself hearing this question. So when the Father says, I'm going to put pressure to set you apart, He's not saying what type of people... You hear me, we're all in this together. But when he says that, he's talking to you, Sarah. He's not, in Sarah's mind, when she hears that, you're not thinking, we're all in this together. We are, but when he asks you that question, he's talking about you. When when you consider where we are, This is what I was talking about. We didn't just find ourselves here. This, the reason why we're here, and the the place where we came from, in my mind, at least at this moment, started with divestment. It's what she is talking about. Separation. We We cannot forget that he took us through covenant, Not just to unite with him, but to separate ourselves from other things. That was a very intentional time period. And then he took us through the process of pledges. And what does faith really mean? It means loyalty to him. Demonstrating your loyalty to him under what? Under pressure. When he taught us that, we weren't under pressure. He was, just, he was just forewarning us and equipping us that loyalty to me looks like you demonstrate your faith even when the pressure comes. Now we're at a place where he's saying, I'm going to put the pressure on you. So let us not think, let us not be a type of people that just find ourselves, oh my God, what is all this pressure? And that's all I think about. I don't remember where I came from, remember why I'm here and where I'm going. What type of people are you? Hear that question by yourself. 
What type of people are you? He's asking you that question, Katie. Nobody else. And if any of us hear that question and say, well, but, you know, whatever, grumble, grumble, complain, but what about so-and-so? No, no. If I'm dealing with one of my children concerning their destiny and their being set apart and their process and their struggles, and I'm putting unique pressure on them for that sake, I don't care about anybody else. So he's putting pressure. And for all intents and purposes, that's all we know this year is about. This year. Well, and if I can just point out, 5784 is just the door. (laughs) So if the pressure is just to get us to the door and he's trying to get us in the house, I'm just saying, I don't know. Now the reason why I want to I want to just I want us to remember at any point in our walk as individuals wherever you're at wherever Yah has you I don't want you to just think in tunnel vision about what's happening right now Think about right now a year from now 6 months from now when the pressure whatever that looks like is hitting you six months from now, think about now. And think about why you got to that place that you're at six months six months from now and where you're going to go after that. That's the type of people he's looking for. When he says, what type of people are you? Now, it's interesting because you could say, Have you heard the term the long arm of the law? Right? The arm of the law. It's you could you could think that the father's instruction is his arm. That's his arm. That's his method and his mechanism of molding and shaping you. His instructions. It's his word. It's his law. Right? That's his arm putting pressure on you. I want us to realize that where we came from was an exodus out of a system. Right after that, we were in a wilderness process. Right? We're crossing a threshold into what I would submit to you is the land that he promised us. It's crazy because I I went to go look for the communion wine. And I was walking up and down the aisles and nothing was standing out. And, you know, and, you know, I don't. There's no right way to do that, right? I just thought something's going to pop out at me and I'll buy it. And there was nothing, nothing. And I did one last lap and I came across this bottle. And it's, it says on it, Eshkol. And it's got an owl on it. I mean, and a butterfly. You know, nothing. It, the only thing that stood out to me was the word Eshkol. And I didn't know why, but I just got it. And so I came home and I was talking with mom about it. And she's like, well, show me the wine, right? And so I just, because I read the back thinking it was going to say what Eshkol was. And it's like, oh, that's the name of, you know, but that doesn't mean anything. So I showed it to her and she's kind of like, what the heck? Well, he tells me the name doesn't mean anything. But I got it because of the owl for the night season. And the owl is looking through 
binocular, you know, so he's studying and there's a book in front of him. So that's why he got it. Then I looked up Eshkol. So she looks up Eshkol <laughs> and come to find out it's a Hebrew word and it's the name of the valley where the Israelites were told to go and get evidence from the promised land to bring back to the people so they wouldn't grumble. <laughs> I didn't catch that part. <laughs> like the evidence of coming back. But it's in the promised land where the grapes are. I, I just stopped at that. So in Numbers Thanks 13, in Numbers 13, when they sent the 12 spies in to get evidence and to spy out the land, when they grab when they when they so collected the, the huge clusters of grapes that were so large, men had to carry them on their shoulders, they collected those from the valley of Eshkol. Now what's interesting because we had already decided we're gonna do the same communion wine for the entire night season. <laughs> and it's becoming apparent that if we remember where we came from, he called us to exit systems. Because ultimately, where he wants us to go is the land that he promised us. Yeah, yeah. We, we are at the, the doorstep of, we're at the threshold of his voice, his instruction. Right? His, the, the loving instructions of the Father, we are ready to receive those and we're standing at the door. But if we don't, if we're not the type of people that we should be, we will just think to ourselves, I just found, I'm finding myself in this place where I'm under pressure. And if we're not the, the right type of people, then we will be like the 10 of 12 representing the majority of the nation that said it's too hard, we can't do it. Yeah where it's it's too much to overcome and I'd rather go back to where we came from. So he gives us a communion wine, a wine made from grapes from the valley of Eshkol to remind us that where we're going is there's evidence that it's good. Yeah. 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 <laughs> So what type of people are you? I get so fired up about it. What type of people are you when when the Father, it forget anything else. Forget don't even give the enemy credit. For pressure. The Father is stretching his arm to put pressure on you to set you apart. So what type of people are you when he stretches his arm out and puts pressure on you? It would be like if I had the chance to play basketball with Michael Jordan and I just went, nah, nah, it's too hard. Who says that? Who does that? <laughs> it's just obvious. It's hard. <laughs> I'm going to look like the worst basketball player on the face of the planet. But who cares? Yeah. It's not about me. Right? right? The pressure that's being put on you to set you apart in the end is not about you. 
It's about the one who created you and his purpose for you. Don't get in the way of that. We are, we are at such a critical place. The pressure's on. It's not the enemy. It's the Father. It's Yahweh. It's the one who wants to fully give you the fullness of his loving instructions while he's reminding you that the place he's called you to, which is set apart, the set apart place he's called you to, that he called you out of another place to put you into, to send you into, he's reminding you of how good it is. He's like, look, here's evidence. Go see for yourself. Go taste it for yourself. But even then, that's why I asked the question, what type of people are you? Are you going to be the, the 10 out of the 12 that says it's too hard, I'd rather just go back? We're at a place where you're either going to go, you're going to enter in, or you're going to go back. Like we've heard this word before, but it had nothing to do with are we going to enter into his voice mm. mm-hmm. or are we going to say, nah, the pressure is too much. I'm not even in a place or of awareness to where I'm going to even identify that it's a blessing because it's the Father putting pressure on me. Yeah. Like why today? Why today? What, what, somebody, what, when did the war start? What day are we on right now? Day six? Why today, the beginning of night season, the place where Yahweh has, has us, where he has us, stepping over a threshold to fully be the type of people that he called us to be? And on this day, the most dangerous terrorist organization on the face of the planet is saying, we're calling for rage on all of Yahweh's people. It could be as simple as that. I mean, that's pressure, right? There's some legitimate things, some natural fear that may come up of what does it look like to go to the place where we gather and praise Him and worship Him. And now we have to consider this natural fear, which is fine. But how are you going to respond to that? When the fear comes up, ask yourself, what type of people am I? It doesn't even have to be a terrorist threat, okay? Because that's crazy. Let's take it completely out of the realm of just crazy war, global, large-scale craziness. It could be drama in your life, right? But Yahweh's allowing it so that you can feel pressure because he's, he's trying to get something out of you. I guess what I'm saying, the Father's heart is the Father's heart is to allow you to feel fear. He wants to allow you to feel pressure. He's under his watchful eye. He's allowing you to feel like you can't cover up or escape the things that you've been able to for the last 10 years. He's putting the kind of pressure where that thing that I thought would never be exposed, it's, it's coming up to the surface and I'm trying to cover it up and I'm trying to hide it and it's leaking out. 
Can, is there who can, who can testify to that? Because he won't allow it. Mm-hmm. He's looking for a type of people, and he's not looking for the type of people that want to to enter in and still have that stuff. Mm-hmm. It could be fear of him. He could be putting pressure on you and getting in your face, and you have a fear of intimacy, and he's going to get right in your face and put pressure on you. Because he's calling you to himself. If any of us have intimacy issues, which I'm sure all of us do, <laughs> like at, in some way, shape, or form, all of us do, he's going to put pressure on those issues to where they can no longer just be kept dormant anymore. When this, this is how plain and simple it is, and this is how we have to think. We came from a place of divestment, loyalty, pledges, commissioning at Shavuot, declaring that we're going to walk a certain way. And then when you find yourself under pressure, how soon we forget, just like she said. How soon we can forget, and I'm talking about all of humankind, how easily it is for us to forget what we proclaimed, what we prayed for, what we declared, what we were all passionate and fired up about when it was exciting, when there was no pressure. How easily we forget and just go, oh my God, why am I feeling all this pressure? Forgetting where you came from, forgetting why you're here, forgetting where you're going. I just... Now you'll understand why I wanted to introduce the Talit. <laughs> because when you go back to the, the attributes with all of that, you know, authority, you know, it's where you show allegiance to, protection, being under his wing, going back to Psalm 91, all of those things, him and his presence and pressing in and going in, tabernacling with him and being with him is going to be what keeps you moving forward. It's the grapes. It's the evidence. It's being able to activate that evidence all the time. Let me leave the family with this directive. At this, this is a critical point in time where we're at, standing at the threshold of entering into the night season to fully embrace the Torah, his voice, his instruction. I, I want us, every individual, when you when pressure comes i want you to get under a tallit if you don't have a tallit get make a sukkot in your house use sheets doesn't matter whatever get in a temporary dwelling place with him first do not do not make life altering decisions when the pressure comes unless the decision is to get with him and dwell with him because that will alter things. That is the only life-altering decision you should make yeah. under pressure. And I'm saying this because I, I see the danger in doing that and I see the threat knocking on everybody's door 
The enemy wants to, to make you, help you forget where you came from, where you're going, why you're at where you're at, and wants to rile you up to make a life-altering decision with him. Another thing that's interesting that I, I just remembered I wanted to bring up as far as just the family understanding where we're at. As an example, we've, we've done marriage counseling for 20 years. And what happens when a couple comes to us and some chaos has exposed itself? Typically, it didn't just show up. It's been there. It's been unseen. Something caused it to be seen, which is a good thing. Because that exposure gets you to a place to where you can actually make that thing disappear. Not just be there and be unseen, but be gone. So when a couple comes to us and they're in utter brokenness and utter chaos, they, they cannot typically, this has been 100% of our experience, when you're in the midst of that chaos yourself, you cannot see where you're going or how you're going to get there. And it takes somebody outside of you that has greater vision than you that has walked people through that to be able to give you instructions on how to get to the place that you were supposed to be. And it also takes trust on the part of the person that can't see that to take those directives and walk them out knowing that you are giving me instructions that are going to get me to a place that I don't understand and I can't see it myself. How many went to the promised land to get the evidence? Twelve. The leaders. Right? So just thinking about that is being being able to not, well, my point is not everyone literally saw where they were going. So he's talking about trusting the grapes. That's that process because not everyone saw it. So having to see the evidence of a testimony, don't be the 10 that say, yeah, but. Yeah. Right? When he's talking about the grapes in the promised land, that's how real it is in our lives. Because when I can't see where I'm going, I submit to someone else who can, and I have to trust that their grape is going to be worth the giant. Right? I, can't, mm-hmm. I have to make a decision to not be the 10 and say, no, never mind. I have to trust that that testimony and that where they've been, that they're coming back to show me, no, really, it works and it is good. And even just holding on to that to be able to move forward. So to make it real for us, we are the bride in chaos. We were the bride in chaos. We were the ones that were adulterous. We were the ones that broke covenant. And we needed Yeshua to bring salvation and to point us to the Father. And so I just, I want us to understand when when somebody comes in the midst of chaos, a lot of times what will happen is they will try to say, no, this is what needs to happen. No, this is the right thing to do. This is what I'm going to do and it will fix everything. When you're the one that got yourself to that place in the first place. 
A lot of times people will come, right? Just like we'll pray, Yahweh, fix this. But then when they come and say, hey, we need counseling, and then you start giving instructions, directives, righteous instructions, and they say, no, no, I don't, I don't, that's not, that doesn't look like what I thought it would look like, and I I know better, and I'm going to walk myself out of this. It's like, okay. Which is the story of the bride. Right. He's given us instructions, and we've said, no, no. Yeah, yeah. We we know we know what we're doing. Yeah. It's really so the says, the moral of the story is we have broken covenant. All of us. Right. Right. We've we've acknowledged that and we've been walking it out. But now it's like the counselor mm-hmm. is saying, "I'm going to give you some instructions." Right. We can choose to. Um, analyze the the letter of the law and the spirit of the law and all that or we can just have faith that he has our best interest there's never been one couple we've counseled where we didn't have both let me say this there's never been people we have counseled where we didn't have their covenant as the highest interest for them on their behalf the father has our best interest at heart. Not for you or for him, but for the covenant. Yeah. Right. And that's where we're that's where we're going. So we need to remember the Exodus. We need to remember the wilderness. We need to remember that we've been in the promised land to retrieve evidence that the place he's taking us is good. So through this entire night season, when the pressure comes, I want you to ask yourself, what type of people am I? Don't decide anything. Don't talk about anybody else. Don't complain. Well, I'd just rather go, just dwell with him. And and stay in the tent (laughs) until you can honestly say, what type of people am I? And acknowledge that it's his pressure and it's because he loves you, because he's trying to set you apart, ultimately bring you to himself and, and set you apart from everything else. So we ha- we have to understand that. And the only reason I say this and I get so fired up about it is because as a father and a mother over a house, our assignment is to e- equip people and encourage people and literally impart courage into your heart when things get hard. Because we knew things would get hard. Because he said, your loyalty, your faith to me means that you walk it out under pressure. Now the pressure's here. So now is our opportunity to walk it out. Let's not forget that. Amen. Amen. This is making me think about, you know, this this is a kind of a dot connecting prophetic time of our whole story but it's such practical advice on our in our daily lives you know something that probably took way too many years is even within us of um learning how to dwell first with him before coming into a conversation like what he's talking about of like you know when he says you know don't don't talk 
Well, my first go-to would be where something's going on and I could talk, I'll talk to someone else before I'm even engaging here. So like just the practical advice about the pressure of if first dwelling, like even in a conflict here, what does it look like for, like I talked about when we went to Dominican Republic about tabernacling under the tallit, what does that look like in your family to be able to incorporate dwelling with him before, enga- you know, before engaging and what, you know, and I, I'm not talking about the, well, I just need space. And then he like runs off because then, I, you know, then I'm freaking out about other stuff, you know. So just being able to, you know, take that as practical advice as we walk through week by week. And, and if, hopefully this is like known, but if it's not, I just want to make sure that this word is timely because I was gone for a week and then I came home and everybody is losing their minds. All of you, every single one of you, including myself. <laughs> Dwayne's Except like, I Jason. didn't. Jason. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a good this is a good thing. I mean, even the word that's just been coming over meaning it's a you can tell that the pressure is there because it's non-stop. I mean, it's nonstop, not bad. That's not bad. Like you said, like it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's just that there's pressure and it's and it just seems to be nonstop. Here's why. And hopefully this is encouraging. We're shifting. It's another big shift. This happens every time a huge shift happens. There is pressure that comes and it just starts to get chaotic. And so I want to prepare us because if you haven't felt that, if you're like like Dwayne over there, like what you're talking about. (laughs) You have this week. Just kidding. But you know what I mean? Like just, just, I want us to be encouraged that we're all in this together because I could look at every single one of you and out the whole story about how everyone's going crazy. So if anybody's leaving thinking like, just be like, no, everyone is losing their minds. But I think that that's a good thing together. It's we're a together. good, it's a good, it's a good thing. I mean, not that it's a good thing, but it it shows that there's a shift and it's happening corporately. Yeah. It's actually a little bit harder when it's kind of like one family, and then like another family. But when it's all, you can tell he's doing something, and there's there's not safety in that. There's there's goodness in that. So, um, all right. The only thing that we have left is to just talk. Uh, a little bit about logistically, which I've kind of have already done, but yeah, if we want to hand these out, get these out. This is the um, schedule. So remember, we chose as a family to do three years. How many of you are thankful for three years because we had one chapter? Yes. Versus if you saw the one-year plan, it would have been six and a half chapters. No. <laughs> so he is giving us three years to walk through this and this schedule we particularly picked the reason why I'm saying this is because there's a few schedules out there uh, some people do the three years where they do a third of it and then the next year they do the second third and then the next year they do the third third so you get like a part of Genesis a part of Exodus whereas this one we're just going straight through so we're not gonna get to Deuteronomy if that makes sense Is that making sense what I'm saying so there's one schedule where you would read like Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and then you would go you know, to the next one, and then you, the second year you circle back around. The good thing about that schedule is you get a taste of the entire Torah all year. Does that make sense? You get Genesis to Deuteronomy. You get a third of the Torah all year. 
And then you do the second third of the third year. We chose We chose to do it just straight through. So we're starting with Genesis and we're going straight through. So what that means is is on a one year plan we would be in Exodus by week 13. This time because we're doing it this way, it's going to be like 45 weeks we're going to be in Genesis. And by the end of the year, we will not get through. We'll only get to like Exodus. Does that does that make sense? We felt like that was best for our family to walk it through because I didn't know if we knew enough to do a third and then the second third and then the third third and have it be jumbled. So we're just going to go we're just going to go straight through. So the way that this can I have a, a the way that this <clears throat> schedule <clears throat> looks is um so Bereshit is the, there's going to be a name for the portion, and every name means something. That's the title of the portion. Normally, we would be moving on to Noah. That would be next, but we're not on the one-year plan, so we're going to be in Bereshit for four, for four weeks. So basically, instead of one week, we get four weeks, and then we'll move on to Noah. Does that make sense? So when you see the left-hand side, you've got Bereshit, and then you've got Genesis 1 through 6, but then on the right-hand side, we're going to be breaking that down by, by, by week one, two, three, four. The best way to probably just keep track, at least what I'm going to do, is just be um, crossing off the number. Because it's not like there's a date next to it. You can look online for some dates, but it's really hard to do the three-year this way with dates. So uh, you'll just cross off after, after you've done, like week one will be crossed off starting tomorrow. You'd start on week two. So basically next week, we will be sealing Genesis 2-4 to 324. Okay, does that all make sense? Yeah. Um, then another thing that we wanted to do is I have put in this bowl every male in this house that is 13 years and older and every female in this house that is 10 years, uh, 12. sorry, 12 years old and older is going to be in this bowl and we're going to be picking out names to read the Torah portion the next week. Um, and the reason why we pick 12 and 13 is traditionally that is when you have a bar mitzvah. So at 12 is for females, 13 is for male. At that time, I don't know if you know this, but at that time at a bar mitzvah, 12 and 13-year-olds will stand at their bar mitzvah and repeat from Genesis 1 all the way to the end of Deuteronomy fully. At the age of 12 and at the age of 13, they give the word from Genesis 1 all the way to Deuteronomy so when Kendra said we're going to put honey sticks in our baby mouths. Deuteronomy 33:34 or 34:12. So yes, that is why we are eating honey sticks. <laughs> because we've got 12 years. Right? I mean, in 12 years we will be able to recite. Anyways, go ahead. Like not not in English. And that's another thing about the English, there's no chapters. So you wouldn't say Genesis one. It's just, it's a whole storyline. There's no there's it's a scroll. It, there's no stopping points. There's no. Anyways. Okay. So are you guys ready for who's reading next week? Oh, they're not cut. Sorry. <laughs> there was four people. Oh, she's not here. I want it to be somebody who's here so I can see their face. Missy. <gasps> Yes. 
Okay, so Misty will be reading our Torah portion next week. Um, and I think that that might be... What? <laughs> yeah. Huh? Yeah. Yes. Memory in and Hebrew. in Hebrew. It's only one chapter. Yeah, no big deal. All we had today was Bereshit. <laughs> um... Um, and then the only other thing that I wanted to reiterate was I had originally said that the Tree of Life Bible app was going to be our resource. The Tree of Life Bible app only does the one year. So from this point forward, if you're using that app, the schedule is not going to be the same. However, it's an amazing app. Use it. I don't know if you guys know this, but he reads to you. It's just, it's just amazing. So, <laughs> so anyways, so that's a great resource. And then obviously this Torah resource is one of the resources that we use. And, th and there's tons of stuff on there too. So just wanted to make sure you guys are equipped. Because I don't want you guys just to get into your word and just read it. Read commentary. Search it out. Uh, look up different things. Get to know, get to know, um, you know, what's in there. And really go through the week, recite it, learn it, and then, you know, be ready next Friday for Missy to kind of, we're going to, to release over us, and then we will be sealing it um, next Friday. Well, if tonight was an introduction, and everyone feels like they have a new foundation for his character to be built on moving forward. Yeah. What was powerful to me is one of the foundations of Kingdom Bears has been relationship. When we woke up out of religion or when religion was exposed, what we were introduced to was relationship. And so now to go back to the beginning, to start literally at the beginning in Genesis, where he introduces himself to creation, to mankind, and now as a people is reintroducing himself to us, that the word is we were created for relationship that already should dismiss or dis disperse in your mindset or in your heart whatever residue there is left when it comes to why you are chosen or what kind of father or God that he is. And I know that those kinds of things, the more that we're introduced to his character, because that is what's happening simultaneously as we're introduced to the law and we become familiar with that, is we're becoming familiar with him. If you go to someone's home and they reveal to you or they make known the standards of their household, are they not making themselves known? you immediately get to understand or see what's important to them, what matters, how they run things, right? What, what they care about, what they value, who they are. That's the process that's taking place. Is as we become familiar with the law, we become familiar with him. And he just introduced himself to us tonight by saying, all I want from you is you. So let that set a tone moving forward to be built on. If all he wants is you, then any pressure that he brings, you can trust. What else would be the purpose for his pressure then? If he created you to reside with you, then the, that pressure, can, could it possibly be to harm you? 
could it possibly be to push you down or to make you feel inferior or ugly or any of those things that you had felt before in religion or felt from those who claimed to represent him? It couldn't possibly if he created you just to be in relationship with you. So moving forward into this next week, into the next Torah portion, and preparing ourselves to for that introduction to continue to be built on, let the foundation that's already been established in you laterally, we know on earth, that everyone in this room is here simply to have relationship with one another, or we wouldn't stick around. Right? That's why we stopped. We stopped the church hopping. We stopped the, right? Because ultimately what, what was spoken over us is, I just want you. For life, just relationship with you. And now that expression can be solidified in our hearts with Yahweh when he says, all I've ever wanted is you, and any pressure that I ever put on you is to keep you close and to bring you back home. So carry that this week. Let that be solidified in you so that when we get into what's next, and like mom said, it gets, what was the word you used? It gets muddy that that is your foundation so you don't get confused by what you've known, but you let him build on your new truth. Thank you for listening to this message from Kingdom Heirs International. If you have received insight and revelation with this message, we invite you to claim that revelation by trading on the trading floor with this ministry. You can do that at Kingdom Heirs flag.org. Thank you.